What do Reese Witherspoon, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Lady Gaga all have in common? Well, if you're not sure yet, here's a hint. Welcome to VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. They all own French Bulldogs. Hi everyone, I'm really excited to be talking to you today. My name is Ariana and I'm here with my two other classmates. Hi, I'm Megan. Hi, I'm Allison. And before we dive into talking about those really cute French Bulldogs, I don't know about you guys, but something that's been really on the forefront of my mind this past August was the latest IPCC or the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that report that just came out. Yeah, so I remember that. And just to kind of give everybody else a little bit of context, this past August, the United Nations released the sixth assessment report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. So since 1988, there have been six assessments from this panel whose purpose is to inform governments with scientific information on the current status of the climate, with the intention to use this information to guide national policy. So in summary, these latest reports show that global temperatures are increasing at unprecedented rates, and this climate change is being driven by human activities. Not only are these changes affecting temperature, but also weather patterns. Heat waves, heavy precipitation, droughts, and tropical storms are just some of the extreme after effects that have been seen to occur with increasing frequency. These changing patterns not only affect us, but all the animals around us. That includes our pets. Now, they say dogs are a man's best friend, right? And I think we should really be considering them when it comes to these extreme changes. I know heat waves really tire me out, so what are they doing to our dogs? Well, there are many general effects of heat waves that happen for all dogs. First off, heat waves cause a general inefficiency in a dog's ability to cool, making panting, laying in shade, really less effective, which then predisposes them to tissue damage due to hyperthermia, or that increased temperature. And quote, key features of the syndrome include cardiovascular collapse, global endothelial damage, coagulation alterations, central nervous system dysfunction, loss of gastrointestinal integrity, acid-base disturbances, and sometimes sepsis and or septic shock. These elevated temperatures are essentially just a predisposing factor to heat stroke for all dogs, but what about those dogs that are always snorting? Oh, are you talking about brachy dogs? Wait, what does that mean? So what is a brachycephalic dog? Why do we use that term? And what within their physiology predisposes them to these diseases associated with hot temperatures? Let's discuss a little bit about what a brachycephalic dog is. So quite literally, brachycephalic comes from Latin and translates to short-headed. Some breeds that you might recognize are going to be English Bulldogs, French Bulldogs, Pugs, Pekingese, and Boston Terriers. And interestingly enough, Persian cats also have this confirmation, but for the duration of this podcast, we are going to focus on our canine companions. Characteristics of the brachycephalic breed include, one, an elongated soft palate, two, stenotic nares, and three, an inverted laryngeal saccule. Wait, for all the non-veterinary students listening out there, what does all of that actually mean? Of course. So first, stenotic nares, that's actually a narrow passage as you move through the nose. 
Second, an averted laryngeal saccule. This is an abnormal characteristic where the tissues in front of the vocal cords are pulled into the trachea or windpipe, and this causes an obstruction in airflow. Finally, a soft palate. This is the soft portion of the roof of your mouth, and this means that it is elongated for our brachycephalic friends. So all of these anatomical abnormalities characterize a syndrome called brachycephalic syndrome. Because these changes are localized to the face, specifically the nasal passages and the upper airway, these dogs breathe and pant really inefficiently. And when they pant inefficiently, they can't really cool themselves that well. And that predisposes them to overheating in these really hot temperatures. Now that you know a little bit about what a brachycephalic dog is anatomically, it is important to recognize that these breeds have risen in popularity in the last 10 to 15 years. In the United Kingdom, the British Veterinary Association reports a 3,104% increase in French bulldog registrations, 193% increase for pugs, and a 96% increase in bulldogs from 2007 to 2017. Similarly in the U.S., the American Kennel Club reports a 476% increase in French bulldogs and a 69% increase in bulldogs between 2006 and 2016. So I think it's really important to point this out to you to convey that what we're talking about isn't trivial, that there are a whole bunch of brachycephalic dogs here in the U.S. and the U.K. and kind of throughout the world. (laughs) And based on recent trends, their populations are only going to increase. So on one hand, we have all of these brachycephalic dogs that are having difficulties breathing and panting efficiently in high temperatures. And on the other hand, we do have these increasing global temperatures. And that really lends itself to scientific examination. Actually, there was a recent paper published in 2020 called Incidents and Risk Factors for Heat-Related Illness, or in quotes, heat stroke, in United Kingdom dogs under primary veterinary care in 2016. And with an outstanding sample size of over 905,000 dogs under veterinary care across the United Kingdom, the authors concluded that the rising temperatures we are experiencing today pose a health risk to dogs. Specifically, they state that, quote, dogs with a brachycephalic skull shape and dogs weighing over 50 kilograms, end quote, (laughs) are at the greatest risk for these health-related injuries, including heat stroke. So the author's main goals were to ID different risk factors that would put these dogs under higher risk of contracting heat-related illnesses and to estimate the case fatality rate for these dogs under veterinary care. The authors gathered all of their case data from a United Kingdom-based vet search engine, which was called Vet Compass. The authors then use a cohort study design to follow dogs that had had a heat-related illness compared to dogs that didn't. Then they use that to identify factors that made it more likely for dogs to fall into the heat-related illness category. So in their analysis, they found that the incidence of heat-related illnesses in 2016 was only 0.04%. All right, so that doesn't sound too bad. I know, but then when you consider their event fatality risk for these animals, it actually was 14.18%. Wow, so you mean that like out of those 0.04%, they had a fatality risk that was about 15%? Exactly. And it's kind of interesting because they actually, um, they identified that the different risk factors included breed, higher body weight, and this was kind of relative to the breed and the sex mean, and then also for dogs that were over two years of age. So the authors pose that, quote, as we move into an ever-warming world, veterinary professionals may need to include resistance to heat-related illness among their rationales when advising owners on breed selection. The authors urge breeders to consider breeding for respiratory function and maintaining a healthy body weight, claiming that these considerations are welfare priorities for dogs as temperatures continue to rise. 
Taking all of this into consideration, the authors give evidence to support that there is an association between brachycephalic dogs and their predisposition to heat stroke, particularly with the reality of rising temperatures in our current world. Knowing this, this paper really gives a call to action for brachycephalic owners to be aware of this risk and educate themselves on the signs of heat-related illnesses so that they can best prevent illness for their furry family members. Now that we've heard a little bit about brachycephalic dogs and heat stroke in the literature, we're going to speak to a veterinarian who sees cases like this frequently. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Carissa Tong, a veterinarian with board certification in emergency and critical care. She earned her veterinary degree from the University of Edinburgh. She moved to the U.S. to complete an internship in Wisconsin and completed her residency in emergency and critical care at Cornell University Veterinary Specialists in Stanford, Connecticut. She is currently practicing at Pulse Veterinary Specialists and Emergency in Edmonton, Canada. What would you say are the clinical signs of heat stroke in dogs? Yeah, so heat, like, like you have talked about, um, heat-related illness is a huge sort of spectrum of disease from sort of just, you know, again, like heat-related illnesses, they get heat, heat cramps, and the heat stroke specifically refers to when the body temperature is above 105.8 Fahrenheit or 41 Celsius, um, and they usually have neurological dysfunction. So um, to so to diagnose heat stroke, you have to have those two categories. So the signs, um, one of the main thing with neurological dysfunction is their pet's mentation would be abnormal. So they could be a little bit, quote unquote, out of it. Um, sometimes they could be uncoordinated. Owners will notice that they're quite weak. Um, I've also had pets coming in when they've collapsed or having a seizure. And the absolute worst case scenario sometimes is they can actually die before reaching the ER from a neurological standpoint. Um, but other signs are actually sometimes can be quite nonspecific and mimic other disease. So um, dogs specifically, they can have vomiting diarrhea that turns pretty bloody. Um, and they usually can have like quite significant respiratory distress. So what I mean by that is usually they're breathing a lot faster than normal. Um, my pet owners will tell me, hey, you know, I felt like, you know, Fluffy was just panting nonstop. And she looks like all she's doing is focusing on breathing. She's sort of unaware of her surrounding because she's working so hard to breathe. And specifically to the brachycephalic breeds, we hear this noise called stertor. So it sounds like they're constantly snoring when they're breathing. Um, and that would probably be the worst case scenario for them because when we get to that point where they're having such severe stertor, they're very at high risk of having airway obstruction. Um, and then other signs as well is we can see a really high heart rate because they're trying so hard to breathe. They're working so hard to breathe. Um, their gums almost look like this like brick red color, like very bright red. Um, and some pets can actually start having bruising um, on their skin and on their gums. Next question is just thinking about all of these kind of all of the body systems being um, affected and everything like that. What does the treatment of heat stroke entail? Yeah, so treatment actually is very much supportive and there's no one sort of magic pill, magic drug we could use. So the first thing that's really important is for us to cool them down and cool them in a controlled fashion. Um, so um, if pet owners are listening to this, um, if you have a pet you're concerned about heat stroke, always get a body temperature right away. If you can grab a thermometer from like the pharmacy, it's always good for us to know where the starting point is, where the temperature and ways that we use to do them, uh, to cool them down in the clinic is we actually put them on a wet sink and we just run tap water over them um, on their body surfaces obviously not around their head and their ears uh, we soak towels to body temperature and put them over the um, put the towels over the pet 
we get some fans going to try to circulate cooler air. Um, and we always check their body temperatures almost like every few minutes, because what we know is if we cool them too much, um, we usually stop at 103 uh, Fahrenheit or 39.4 Celsius. If we go past that point, once we stop cooling, the body is still trying to cool down, right? And so we do too much to help them. So quote unquote, it can actually cause hypothermia. And so that can actually cause them to shiver more. And then we lose that balance of them trying to like maintain a normal temperature. So that's one thing. Um, the second very, very much important thing we do for our pets is starting an IV catheter and starting them on IV fluids. Because like I said, these pets are panting excessively to get off their heat. Sometimes they have vomiting, diarrhea. They can actually get very, very dehydrated from heat stroke and actually go into shock. Um, and so we do try to replenish all that fluid they have lost. Um, having all that muscle activity, panting and all of that, um, they can actually sometimes get low blood sugar as well. So we do give them an IV drip of that or injections to help them. But aside from that, you know, once we get through the sort of acute initial phase of, um, you know, managing heat stroke, the next 24, 48 hours is a lot of just supportive care and watching for any other organ failure signs. Because as we discussed, every single body system, you know, from your brain down to your heart, lungs, you know, your gastrointestinal tract, your kidneys, your clotting system can be affected and it can take up to 48 hours to manifest. So we treat any seizure activity as needed. We sometimes Sometimes have to give them medication to reduce brain pressure from all that seizure activities. Um, sometimes we have to treat for abnormal heart rhythms, um, as well as clotting disorders with, you know, things like fresh frozen plasma infusions. And then the one of the worst potential, I guess, um, consequence of heat stroke is when your body gut lining are damaged. You know, the normal bacteria that is within the gut can leak out to the circulation. And so some pets can um, become septic from this. Um, the overall treatment usually are very successful unless we do see multi-organ failure. Next question is, what would you like owners of brachycephalic dogs to know about heat stroke and potential signs to look for? So in terms of brachycephalic dogs, you know, like we talked about earlier, unfortunately, they are built a little bit different and they have these abnormal anatomy around their respiratory tract that makes them so much less tolerant of heat, right? And so being, you know, keeping that in mind when we take our pets out, uh, remembering keeping them in a really good body condition score is important. Um, we know that overweight brachycephalic dogs are at higher risk of developing heat-related illness. And in terms of potential signs, I think you know, on those hot days, it's just watching for how your pet is breathing. So think about how they normally pant and breathe when they go on a nice leisurely walk in the fall and then compared to what they're doing in the summer, right? It's just making sure, hey, are we, is, is he panting more? You know, are they having that louder stirter noise um, as well? Are their gums still nice and pink or they are potentially turning a little bit purple or blue? Those are very concerning signs. And I think what I would say is when in doubt, um, bring them to the ER as soon as possible. It, because as long as they are okay, then at least a technician or whoever's doing the triage will let you know, and it's better to be safe than sorry. I have definitely have pets where, unfortunately, they came in a little bit too late, and so sometimes they're not in a position where they might recover quicker than if they had brought in been brought in sooner. Thank you, Dr. Tong, for all of your insight on veterinary critical care and heat-related illnesses. Now, we're going to hear from the perspective of a pug owner with a science-based background to talk about these issues. 
Trisha Fry lives in Madison, Wisconsin with her two kids and Vince, the pug, and Flicky, the German shorthair. Trisha is a wildlife ecologist who studies wildlife health and disease. She is currently completing her PhD at the University of Wisconsin, looking at the influence of climate change on polar bear health. <laughs> is this your first time owning a pug? Yes. Uh, prior to having pugs, I have had German um, shorthairs and a springer. Um, but yes, this is my first small dog. Uh, and what drew you to pugs as a breed? Um, I was really looking for a breed that was easy, um, was not was um, just mellow for the most part, who I didn't feel guilty about not walking every um, day, who I could take around the block and would be happy. Um, and a dog that kind of was known for kind of having a good personality, not dog aggressive, just kind of happy-go-lucky. And um, have you had your dog during the summer at all? Yeah, he um, he was here all summer. And um, he, in terms of the heat, which was definitely something I thought of and knew was going to be a factor. Um, and my decisions on where I take him and what I do with him um, are definitely different than my German short hair. Um, he, he seems to do fine um, with the heat, but I also don't push it. Like we just don't go, to the, we don't go on a big hike when it's hot. Um, we left in Wisconsin, we have lots of water. So we actually, like, if it is hot, we often go to someplace where like there's water and he actually, I know it's not safe, but he does swim. He has a life jacket, <laughs> but he does like to like, he loves hanging out on the paddleboard. Um, but pretty much, I mean, that was kind of, I knew, like, I don't take, if I'm out on the boat, I don't take him. It's going to be too hot, um, and I'm not going to stress him out like that. So I think that in terms of um, my behavior has changed um, in terms of being a dog owner with the dog that I'm more worried about having heat stroke issues. Would you say that you know, like, the signs and symptoms if he were to be experiencing, like, a heat illness incident? I think I do. Um I mean, I would first expect to see a lot of lethargy. I would. I don't know if this is the best strategy, but in the work I do professionally, when we have animals anesthetized, I cool his flank um, and, and kind of respond that way and move. Obviously, move him into a, a different place. But I think his breathing would also change. But I guess, like my my goal is prevention, right? I'm just not going to put him in situations where he's going to get overheated and be struggling. And that was definitely something I knew when I got him. Like, he was not going to be, like, my short hair. Like, there was no yeah. question that I was getting a very different kind of dog. With any selection in a pet, you have to find one that fits your family um, and take the time to figure that out um, and know the risks. Like, I know that I could have a nasal surgery in my future. Um, I hope I don't. But I also know if I have a short hair, I could have a cruciate. I'm more likely to have a cruciate surgery in my future. So I think, um, you know, education and also finding decent people to get your animals from um, is really important. So besides being aware of times you might not want to walk your dog and signs they might be in trouble, what else can our listeners do? Well, there are a bunch of studies that show that vegetation in our cities actually creates cooler temperatures locally. According to this one study by Ortega Rosas et al., large tracts of vegetation can reduce air temperature by 5 to 7 degrees Celsius or 9 to about 12 degrees Fahrenheit. And one example they give is that there was this urban park in Mexico City, and it's actually 2 to 3 degrees Celsius or about 5 degrees Fahrenheit cooler than its surroundings. 
So how does this relate to something that you can do? Well, you can plant trees at your own place. This will help drop the temperature in the area and provide shade to not only yourself, but your dogs too. And this will help them stay cool in the summer. But if you're like me and don't own a house yet, you can always donate to nonprofits that are supporting tree planting projects. As an example, in Colorado, where we are currently living, the Nonprofit Institute for Environmental Solutions has ongoing tree projects that focus on improving the urban environment through tree planting with ongoing collaborations with different community groups, including researchers. Since Trisha's background is in climate change research, we decided to see if there were any actions she would recommend to your average person to help slow down the rising temperatures, and here's what she had to say. I mean, when I think about it, we all can be a little bit more minimal, right? We can make choices that are better for ourselves, that also are better for our planet. And I think making those on a daily basis is is important. And are we always going to make the right choice? No. Do we have to do other stuff like fly and go places? I mean, in theory, yes. But I think really it's it's kind of making those daily choices to have less, use less, um, and, and encourage other people to do the same. So to summarize, temperatures are getting hotter. And while we can cool off in a nice dip in the pool, our dog companions, especially those with the cute smushed faces, might need some extra help in the summers. Don't sweat it if you do own these breeds. Just know that they are at an increased risk of heat stroke. And it's important to be aware of when it might be too hot for them and when to seek veterinary help. And if you're thinking about getting one of those breeds, just be aware that heat stroke will be an increasing issue with rising temperatures, so don't forget to do your research. In the meantime, we can all do our part to support cooler local temperatures by planting trees in our own yard or supporting groups that have tree planting projects. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast.